where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. No matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. And you are wanted and you are valued here. We have stories of faith that connect us, whether you're in Connecticut, Colorado, the United States, or Europe, or anywhere in the world. For several weeks, we have been exploring <clears throat> the story and stories of loaves and fishes. Lots of fish have been in our stories. And this morning, for the last time that we know of uh, this fall, we're going to hear a story with loaves and fish. And this one comes from the Gospel of John, the 21st chapter. And if you know anything about the Christian scriptures, um, when you get to the end of a gospel, like chapter 21, it's almost over. So this, I'm happy to say, is a resurrection story. It seems like a good time for a resurrection story. The heading for this is Jesus appears to seven disciples. And because it is the Gospel of John, we're reminded that the numbers mean something. Now, I don't know for sure what they mean, but when I think of the number seven, the days of creation come to mind. So we can also look at this as a creation story. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he showed himself in this way. And it's worth noting that this location is the same location as the story of the feeding of the 5,000, the Sea of Tiberias. Gathered there together were Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we'll go with you. And they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just before daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And he said to them, have you no fish? They answered him, no. And he said, cast the net to the right side of the boat, and you'll find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because there were so many fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Messiah. When Simon Peter heard that, that it was the Messiah, he put on some clothes for he was naked and jumped into the sea. But the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, only about a hundred yards off. When they had gotten ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish on it and bread. Fish and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. 
I'm guessing he didn't really count them right then and there. But it's possible that that number says something about the lunar cycle in a year. Because the square root of that number is 12 point something small. So this is telling us something about the cosmos. This big catch is of cosmic proportion. 153 of them, and though there were so many, the net was not torn. The crucifixion of Jesus did not tear the fabric of society, of the cosmos. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you, because they knew. And Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish, just like he did in the feeding of the 5,000. This was now the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. The third time. The sun, the moon, and the earth the trinity of creation as they knew it at that time. May these words of scripture continue to unfold for us. This past April, Amelia and I and our church leaders, John and Wayne, had a a conversation, an important conversation This was after we had already closed our sanctuary in our building and many of us were at home. And Amelia got an email from an emergency management coordination group through Together Colorado, we think. Neither one of us completely remember. But it was a really important email because it was asking faith communities um, to essentially take an inventory of what we might have to offer in the early days of the pandemic. The gift of this email and the conversation that ensued was that it framed and focused our conversation on what we had to offer. And it really did chart the course for where we are now. What we quickly realized is that we had three big groups of things to offer. Three categories, maybe, is a better word. We had people. We had a network of people. We had a purse, a common purse, that is filled with resources from the offer grant and the ongoing and new generosity of all of you, all of us. And we had property. We had physical space. And we went through and we listed all these things that we had and Amelia took notes and she sent it back to the person and the person replied very quickly and the one word that I remember that that person said in response was, wow, that's a lot. 153? No. But everything we had, everything we knew, 
that we had. And this went into motion immediately, unplanned. It just went into motion because that's what happens. We were all living in new territory, and there were some some needs that were popping up in the community immediately. And they were primal needs surrounding food. And so our common purse with resources from the offer grant went to the Hour Center and Meals on Wheels. And people in the congregation that have always had a relationship with those organizations continued in that service, and new people joined as well, just to get into a new place where they could figure out how to continue their ministry with new um, regulations and restrictions. And a few months in, after the initial sort of upheaval and unsteadiness and uncertainty, things began to continue to pop up and opportunities began to arise. We had a crew that went out and worked on a build at Habitat and folks who weren't able to do the work but provided the lunch. We now have a contact person for filling out applications for a woman's work because we had people who needed help with home, with a stable living environment, and they needed help paying rent. The love fund um, is something that saw a lot of extra generosity, and it was used. So hunger and stable housing and debt relief and transportation. The purse was also used to package beans. And those beans were repackaged by teams out, out on our concrete, on tables. Crop walk happened, and they raised over $1,700. That's a lot of fish. And lap, ba- lap blankets for Meals on Wheels for the knitting group. A team continued the work of environmental justice, which was looking at and moving forward in regenerative initiatives for agriculture and for living. The parking lot landscaping was done by somebody, was outlined and suggestions were made by someone on the environmental ministries team. We began a new chapter in anti-racism education and action, a journey that continues to this day, a journey that taught us to prioritize access, opportunity, and justice for all people, especially people who have been denied access, opportunity, and justice. And just to give you a really quick example, in the light of the fires that have led to evacuations, the question that needs to be on all of our minds as soon as we see these notices is, have these been sent out in Spanish? And when I asked that question, the answer was not yet. We're working on it. And what we've learned from the mono and bilingual Spanish-speaking community is that's too late. If we're going to build a net of trust and cooperation, Spanish needs to be a first thought, not an afterthought. So, so much. So, so much generosity. People and purse. Resources 
deployed. Property as a resource has also been equally encouraging and even inspiring. This congregation has a history of offering its space. It was home base during the flood recovery efforts. Fellowship Hall had temporary showers. Meals were coming out of that kitchen. People were sleeping in that room. Micah Homes is a great example of the use of property that is now permanent housing for six families. But there's more that's taken place since April. And we've got some slides, and I want to invite you to use your imagination here, because these aren't slides that necessarily show everything in action, but they show our resource of property. And I'm going to tell you a few ways that that's been used since the pandemic began. So here comes the first slide. So I hope this is familiar to you. This is our church sign. It has been a beacon ever since it adorned the rainbow flag. People still refer to this church as, oh, you're the church with the rainbow flag. But there's something different on the sign now. Virtual worship. Details online. Let's just go to the next slide real quick. This is another thing. People think this is another rainbow flag, which, which it is, but it also speaks to the heart of what it means to be church. And this is what has been lived out since April in a brand new way. We thought we were an inclusive congregation before the pandemic. And we were to the extent that we knew, but now that we have entered the online world. What we learned is that there were people that wanted to join but weren't able to because we we required being present in person. Eliminating that requirement allows for many more people to join, even people right here in Longmont. That has been a tremendous learning and an important one as we continue to open our doors and open our screens. One of the first requests we had was from people who played the organ, church musicians who needed a place to practice and weren't allowed to go into their buildings. And so our space was filled with organ music on Friday mornings for several weeks, and there's one person who had been studying organ and actually took her American Guild of Organists exam from our balcony on our organ. This space you may be familiar with, typically there's beautiful artwork hanging on that platform, on that canvas. But this became the initial space for Left Hand Church to do their um, live worship. They were doing Facebook Live, and they were streaming from that exact location very early on 
in the pandemic. And it was our capacity to open up that space for them that developed a relationship. They did eventually take their worship outside, but then they needed to come back inside. And this is their new temporary space. This is a wall in Fellowship Hall. The carpet rolls out, the stools come out, the plants are nicely arranged, and that's where they live stream from now. And this relationship has continued to um, develop. Left-hand church, I like to say, would easily and theologically be a great-granddaughter of this congregation, just based on the age of birth. This congregation, Left Hand Church, was birthed about two and a half to three years ago. And they're going to be moving from that space into our chapel. They've just signed a two-year agreement to have use of our chapel as their home base. And as you can see, if you're really familiar with the building, you know that the trim of the stained glass has been painted. It used to be brown. And there's going to be uh, even more renovations, exciting renovations, taking place in that space as Left Hand Church makes it their worship home for the next two years. Our parking lot had not been paved in April, I don't think. Was it, had it been paved, John? We don't remember. But when it did get paved, it became a safe lot of sorts for someone who needed a place to park their RV and a place to stay. What you can't see up close is that there is an electrical outlet um, in this picture. But our parking lot was used to provide a safe place for over a week, a couple weeks, I think. And now we're back in Fellowship Hall. And the spot that doesn't have tables uh, is typically used by Iglesia. That is our, um, the Spanish-speaking church that is nested in our building and has been for several years. They continue to meet as they are able with physical distancing and safety measures. And these tables right here are actually an expansion of uh, Gateway Montessori. When school was only offered um, virtually or remotely, Gateway Montessori decided to try a new thing, and they offered an opportunity for families with children uh, to have their children come during the school day, an extended school day, and they had what they called homework helpers. Since children were learning online, they had adults present who could help um, to the extent that they were able. So this did form a little community. And now that we're in a hybrid situation, this still exists on Tuesday and Thursday. This is our meditation room. It's filled with things for the re-entry initiative. The re-entry initiative is an, a really important organization that supports people who are re-entering the community from incarceration. And these goods are places where people, who, where people can come and take things, but it's also going to be a big rummage sale next week in our parking lot. As soon as the snow's gone, that's going to go into the parking lot. And all the proceeds from that event will go to the reentry initiative. But just this week, Deborah Simmons uh, brought a woman in to come and get some household items. 
So it's been a great use of our meditation space. And that's the parking lot where they're, uh, again, another piece of our parking lot where the rummage sale is going to take place next week. And we can still see the chalk on the side of the building that says welcome. This is um, our fireside room. And we just recently started on Wednesdays um, hosting a group called Imagine. Imagine is an organization that's based in Lafayette that provides services to um, people who are living with intellectual and developmental disabilities. So you see the spacing here is very intentional. Um, that is their space on Wednesdays now until they don't need it anymore. I think we have another slide. Yep. So here's our sanctuary. We're back in the sanctuary, but you may have seen this in other videos in the last few weeks, but this was set up for a fundraiser for Longmont Community Justice Partnership. So a refashioning of our space uh, so that this group could have their fundraiser. A wonderful partnership. And one more slide, which is actually beautiful because it shows, you see the painting in the far left corner? It's a hummingbird. Do you remember the story of the hummingbird that we told during our Peacemaker series? Wangari Muta Matai, the peacemaker from Kenya. She told us this story about a hummingbird that saw the forest ablaze, which is a very meaningful image for us here in Colorado. And while all the animals stood on the outskirts of the forest, the hummingbird felt the need to do something. So the hummingbird, one drop at a time, took water and went and placed it on the fire, while these bigger animals just stood speechless and stunned by the enormity of what was happening. And we reminded ourselves that day and Wangari reminded us, actually, is that all we need to do is be a hummingbird. And I think these slides and the things that we have noted are an indication that this congregation really has had an impact for good. The death and crucifixion of Jesus was a moment when the disciples had to pivot. They either had to give up or they had to reframe what was happening and continue on in the mission and the ministry. Pivoting, turning, metanoia, is a basic principle in Christian practice. It happens all the time. We can look at it as a moment where our mind is expanded or a moment where we're, where we're asked to just put the net over on the other side. Take a look at the other side. It's not a story of death, it's a story of life. And Jesus, the risen one, is the one who is on solid ground. And he's the one 
who is inviting this other place, this other direction, this other way of seeing and thinking and being in the world, this other reframing. Do a 180. Take an inventory. 153 fish. There were only two when 5,000 were fed. I know we're not going to take it literally, but even if we take it metaphorically, if two fish and five loaves can feed 5,000 people, think of how many people can be fed with 153 fish. That's a lot of fish. We are a lot of fish. And what does Jesus say? Bring some of your fish. And that's what we've been doing in this season of, of stewardship. We've been asking people to take an inventory. What do you have to offer? And many people have responded. They've said, I'm in, or we're in. And this is something for you to keep on your refrigerator for the whole year to remind yourself of what we're doing together. And let me give you some really good news. So far, we have received commitments from 69 people who have said, I'm in or we're in. The best news is that there's 38 people who haven't responded yet that responded last year. That's the best news. Because now you can respond. And when you do, what we're going to find is that we'll have even more to work with. We'll have even more to reach out to the community with an impact with, or as an impact. I don't, whatever that sentence should be, correct it. It's easy to get overwhelmed with the news and events of the day and the realities and circumstances that are beyond our control. Our story this morning invites us to look at it a little bit differently. Look at what we have to offer and look at the communities that we can serve, even in this unprecedented time. I'm excited to see what the Spirit will do with us. And I want to thank you for bringing some of what you have to join in the ministry and efforts of this church. It's a story of life. And it transforms not just us, but it transforms the world. We're just a bunch of hummingbirds with a few fish. God can do a lot with that.